Welcome to the October DCM podcast. My name, as usual, as it always is actually, is Tom Linnae. And the more perceptive amongst you will notice that uh, there wasn't a September podcast. I'm sorry, podcast fans. Uh, the DCM Awards in September took over my life. Uh, it happened on the 18th of September. I was planning on recording the podcast the week after, but then the guests that I was hoping to get on it couldn't make it, and I didn't get it sorted before the end of the month, and then I didn't want to do it early October because the October podcast is all about the London Film Festival. Woohoo! But anyway, the DCM Awards were a great success, so I'm told, uh, with Max Factor putting a spotlight on the leading ladies of the cinema from Coty Consumer Beauty and Zenith Media winning the big prize, the Grand Prix. All the details about the awards are on the DCM website. There's also a video of the awards, uh, which includes me shouting in an interview because it was very noisy and I had too much adrenaline having just come off stage. But if that takes your fancy, go to the DCM website, dcm.co.uk, read about the awards, read about the amazing winners and think about potentially entering next year if that is something that you can do. Anyway, that all seems like an age ago and it's now mid-October and the last few weeks have been taken up with the BFI London Film Festival. Now in its 62nd year, it's the UK's biggest film festival and a real celebration of cinema and frankly my possibly my favourite few weeks of the year when it comes to working at DCM. Now joining me to discuss the BFI London Film Festival are two of DCM's biggest cinephiles. I'm sure they'd both be happy with that description. It's uh, Lauren is actually rolling her eyes, but um, she thinks I wouldn't mention that. Uh, it's Corinne Eschen and Lauren Green. Hello. Hello. Is it fair to call you cinephiles? It's very flattering, to uh, be honest. Yeah, I'll take cinephile. Oh. I don't think I've ever been called it before, but I quite like it. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll stick with that. Now, I've asked each of us to come prepared with their top three films of the festival. Uh, they don't have to be in order. They're just three films that have really stood out for you. And we're going to go through them uh, one by one. And we're going to start with Corin, mainly because Corin's first choice was the opening night film of the festival. What's your first choice, Corin? It's a bit handy, that one, isn't it? Uh, my first choice is Widows, uh, which, yeah, was the opening night of the festival. And I was very lucky because I got to see it in the morning actually, uh, before it opened that night. And I think it was one of those films that when I looked at it on paper and it had quite a bizarre accumulation of cast, people like Liam Neeson and Colin Farrell in there with uh, kind of upcomers like Brian Tyree Henry and then proper sort of hardcore actors like Viola Davies. Not that Liam Neeson and Colin Farrell aren't hardcore actors. Um, I kind of had a my doubts a little bit as to how well they were going to merge together, how well they were going to work together. And I was just completely blown away by the casting, by the film, basically by everything about it, really, for me. Well, let's give the listeners a bit of background, uh, <laughs> or listener, hello, mum, on background on this film. It's Steve McQueen's follow-up to 12 Years a Slave. So this is highly anticipated. It's set in contemporary Chicago amidst a time of turmoil. I'm not reading the IMDb description here. <laughs> Four women with nothing in common, one of whom is Viola Davis, except uh, a debt left by their husband's um, criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to uh, perform a heist that was uh, um, that was being planned by their dead husbands. Now Liam Neeson is um, the what, the main dead dead husband, and it was nice to see him doing a dramatic role again, wasn't it? Definitely. I don't think I think since possibly Silence maybe was the last time I can remember seeing Liam Neeson in a really kind of solid dramatic role, and I think again him. His and Viola Davies' chemistry as well, you know, 
he obviously sorry spoiler you know they pass away um so it's it's a bit disjointed in terms of like when you see the two of them together but they've got fantastic chemistry and you really do believe that he loved her and he and they had this like really strong romance that has then caused this course of actions that Viola Davis feels like she has to take. The film does open with some very intense kissing between Viola Davis and Liam Neeson and it made me very grateful that I never have to kiss Liam Neeson well I hope (laughs) I never have to kiss I'm I'm interested to know what um, course of action, course of events my life would have to take for me to end up kissing (laughs) Liam Neeson like that but he is a very intense kisser and I I fully believe they were in love as well and Viola Davis, she is the lead she owns this film. Oh she's phenomenal I I mean I'm a huge huge fan of Viola Davis Um, she's about my favorite actress at the moment that's out there um and she just never fails to give a fantastic performance and she just shows what a strong woman and as well the fa- and all f- um four of the main female leads i should say especially again elizabeth debicki i can never pronounce her name right um show like you know there's a lot of talk at the moment about kind of is there enough strong female roles out there for women and this is a prime example of how to make four kick-ass female roles and how to put four fantastic actresses in those roles yep that's very good that's a really good point and uh, it's a real change of pace well not necessarily pace because it's a powerful um but a change of direction for steve mcqueen it is a an action heist thriller which a lot of people will enjoy and he really handles the action sequences really powerfully and um the action sequences reminded me of like peak michael mann like heat or something like that yeah i mean some of the he's one of those directors that takes like shot choices and takes kind of editing decisions that i think a lot of directors especially maybe up and coming ones would be a little bit kind of scared to take they're quite brave choices but he the way he puts together shots and the way he puts together scenes I mean especially like you mentioned the opening um sort of 20 minutes is so you're just on the edge of your seat straight from the off and there's a couple of moments where even if maybe you're sliding starting to slightly kind of not fall asleep that's really that's the wrong word to say maybe if you're starting to slightly kind of you know drift off a bit something happens and bam you're straight back in it he has got fantastic skills when it comes to pacing and just keeping audiences so excited for the film they're watching so all in all it was a very good choice to open the film festival and i think one of the best opening films has been for quite some time uh, and it's out in the uk on 6th of november so you don't have to wait long to see it now what film is your first choice lauren my first choice is vox lux which is, um, is it Brady Corbett's first time directing? No, it's or? Brady Corbett's second, oh, second film. His mm. first one was The Childhood of a Leader. We are crossing cinephile off the intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Tell us a little bit about Vox Lux. Um, so Vox Lux, I went in with sort of very few few expectations just because there hasn't been that much promotional material surrounding the film. There hasn't even been a full trailer. They're just kind of a teaser. Um, and it's kind of, it's this story that uh, opens with, um, I don't think this is giving anything away, but a school shooting, which was um, inspired by Brady Corbett's own living through of the Columbine um, shooting uh, that happened at sort of like the turn of the century. And it kind of tracks this young girl um, as she becomes a superstar, bizarrely, uh, in a bizarre turn of events. Uh, And the young girl is played by Rafi Cassidy, who is also in The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And Tomorrowland. And Tomorrowland, who she's a brilliant young actress. Uh, And then sort of the older her is played by Natalie Portman, who is completely phenomenal in the role. Um, And something that I really liked after the the film, when Brady Corbett was talking about it, he um, mentioned how 
the film is kind of set up so that the first half is played um, just under a tone down from normal human level behavior and then the second half of the film is played as a tone up from normal human level behavior so you go from this kind of like emotionless or with it kind of echoed a similar sort of tone to the killing of a sacred deer that's kind of the first half and then the second half is just completely sort of like manic and all over the place and natalie portman is just i don't even know how to describe her apparently it's, she's is it is it close to Lady Gaga her type of performance? It's yes, it is. It's very it's very poppy and because um, we should say she becomes a a pop star because you said superstar, but so, sorry, a superstar, yes, pop, pop star. star. Yeah, so this, is it like is it does it have a lot of musical numbers? Yeah, it does have a lot of musical numbers, and um, there's uh, there's quite he- heavy emphasis on the music actually, um, which the dwelling on a, a lot of her performances often makes you feel like something very dramatic is about to happen because I feel like in films you're not used to sort of if it's not a music documentary you're not used to seeing someone perform on stage song after song after song which kind of like heightens the sense of tension throughout where you're kind of like okay is something about to happen because it is quite a dark film and there are quite sort of a uh, dark set of events that um, happen but it just kind of suspends your tension for a while and I think he kind of toys with your expectations in a very big way. He kind of takes out a lot of, uh, there's a huge jump in time in the film and he takes out of a lot of things that you kind of know how they're going to play out. Like you know how this young girl can get to be to, to the state that she's in when Natalie Portman is playing her. So you, he kind of cuts out that set of, that part of the story because it's not really necessary to, to, tell, uh, to tell the audience. Um, but uh, Natalie Portman is kind of like this, the standout of the, the entire thing I think she's an amazing actor and she doesn't really get involved in that many films nowadays so when she does it tends to be something quite striking like Annihilation or Black Swan or Jackie so um, and Brady Corbett if you aren't aware he made his name as an actor in a lot of art house films so he was in the Michael Haneke's remake of Funny Games and then he was also in The Dreamers um, but he's now becoming quite a big name director so he's definitely one to keep an eye on I'm very excited for this one it doesn't yet have a UK release date but I am certain it will do now my first film that I'm going to go with is uh, The Favourite which is Yorgos Lanthimos's, um historical comedy drama or are they called dramedies? I don't know. Uh, starring an amazing triumvirate of women actors: uh, Olivia Colman as Queen Anne, uh, Rachel Weisz as Lady Marlborough, and Emma Stone as someone else who I can't remember who she's <laughs> Lady playing. Lady Marlborough's cousin. <laughs> yes, Lady Mar. Sir Abigail, her name was. Oh, that's it. And uh, basically, it's a really kind of twisted comedy drama with Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone competing for the attentions of Olivia Colman. Now, Yorgos Lanthimos is a brilliant director. We've seen The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer and Dogtooth, but this is his by far his biggest film to date. It's set in England. It's mostly filmed at Hatfield House, actually, if anyone wants to check out National Her- National Trust sites or Her- English Heritage sites. But it's, it's going to get Oscar nominated for a whole bunch of awards, like Best Actress. I mean, it could easily win Best Actress for Olivia Colman. I think one of the issues with it is that they're all three act actresses in it are so good and they roughly have the same amount of screen time that it's really difficult to separate who is the best actress out of this but if they uh, they've put Olivia Colman for best actress up for best actress and she could easily win it and who wouldn't want to see Olivia Colman do that she's so fantastic in it she's so childlike and her innocence is the queen it's fantastic my biggest concern though is that the the sort of the appetite for her or the the feeling of her as a national treasure isn't as 
widespread in the US as it is in the UK. So we kind of live in this bubble where we kind of think that everyone heralds her as this kind of yeah national treasure. Well, but she's taking on the role of the queen in the second series of The Crown as well. So mm-hmm. maybe this is a year too early. But either way, I mean, she could easily win it. She's going to have to do a lot of campaigning, I think, in the US. But we should say that this film is very funny. Uh, one of the funniest films of, uh, of the festival, one of the funniest films that I've seen in the last year. Um, and Jorgen Slanthimos has been proven he's good with comedy, but it's always mi- been mixed with kind of real darkness in the past. And this one is a bit twisted, but it's nowhere near as dark as his previous films. And it's much funnier, I think, than his previous films. Would you agree, Corinne? Yeah, definitely. It's... I, and again, from some of the other sort of supporting cast, like I thought Nicholas Holt, again, was really funny as um, kind of the foppish leader of the opposition um, in, a, again, a role that we ha- kind of haven't seen him in before. But, yeah, hysterically funny in places and not quite as dark as something like The Killing of Sacred Deer. Yeah, I think it's his most accessible film to date and as such will be his biggest hit in the UK. It's out on the 1st of January. So that's three films down. We've got six <laughs> more to go. Corinne, what's your second choice? My second choice is If Bill Street Could Talk. Okay, let's talk about If Bill Street Could Talk, <laughs> uh, which is Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight, and I would have put this in my top three had you not already chosen it. Now, Sorry. it's based on James Baldwin's novel, and Kiki Lane plays a woman in Harlem who desperately scrambles to prove her fiancé innocent of a crime while she's pregnant with their first child. What did you think of it? It was so beautifully emotional. I literally sat there the whole way through it with kind of this or like look of awe on my face. I was just so captivated by everything I was seeing on the screen. I mean, I loved Moonlight. I thought Moonlight was absolutely fantastic. It was one of my favorite films of 2017, I believe. Yes. About now. Um, And he, I mean, Barry Jenkins just has an amazing way of making you absolutely fall in love with the characters that you're watching on screen and just fall in love with their relationship. And his, again, the kind of, way in which he tells stories and the way in which he adds music to stories is just so beautiful and so alluring that you can't help but just sit there and smile. Even though I was crying because it was very sad, I was also kind of sitting there and smiling. Yeah, swooning. I think I... Yeah. I he, he, like, as soon as the mournful strings come in at the start and it's beautifully shot and everyone dresses like it's, it's yeah. a period piece and it's set in the 70s, it, it looked... It's just magical. I think he's a magician, Barry Jenkins. I was, I absolutely love Moonlight. I think Moonlight is the best film of the last few years. And I was nervous going into this one. And I'm convinced he's one of the modern greats now, Barry Jenkins, because I feel exactly the same as you. My heart hurts. I, I genuinely yeah. was so, uh, you know, so upsetting, but also beautiful as well. And the acting is sensational from a relatively unknown cast. He did the same thing with Moonlight. I mean, he took kind of Javante Rhodes and... Um, Hershda Ali even went big kind of names like they are now or we, they weren't as well known before Moonlight and again he took this with this cast you know you didn't I didn't really have that much context on the uh, two actors playing the leads who's Kiki Lane and Stephen James yeah I hadn't seen them in much before if anything before I don't think in Kiki's um, no I've not seen her or anything uh, but there it's very it's very raw acting I never felt sometimes when you go and see a film and you sit there and you think oh they feel like they're acting but I never once felt like I was watching people act I thought I felt like I was watching people just go through these emotions and go through all of the struggles that they were that was going on and like you say just the from the start just the kind of emotions that you feel for these people is just amazing now what's your second film uh, my second film is sorry to bother you directed by Boots Riley. Tell us a little bit about Sorry to Bother You, because I'm very excited to see this one. It's out on the 7th of December, but I haven't seen it yet. 
it's essentially it's set in this sort of alternate reality and it centers around a young man who works in a call center um and he how do I describe the plot it's a bit it's, it's really absurd to be honest um but it's sort of like this capitalist tale of um of greed uh and it kind of reflects a lot of contemporary issues in America at the moment um and it was just incredibly entertaining comical absurd some wonderful performances um and what I really liked about it is there's because it is it is not quite set in reality there's a lot of kind of uh, unreal occurrences, but none of them are kind of CGI'd or, or c- computer generated. Everything is kind of it happens in as it, it, it on camera. Um, so there's kind of all sorts of uh, you know a room completely converts from one thing to another. There are these weird, um, shall I say, creatures um, who are all kind of like decked out fully in costume that and and there's kind of like nothing that's covered up, which gives it this real kind of like tactile accessible quality um i feel it's the hardest film ever to talk about without spoiling i i I, I wouldn't want to spoil the ending or or anything around it but um but uh lakeith stanfield who plays the the main star is is very impressive um and people might know him from atlanta or short term 12 and he's yeah, also yeah. Get Out and as Get well. Out, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a real up-and-coming uh, superstar, I think, as well. And Tessa Thompson is in it as well, isn't yeah. she? Yeah, she's she's wonderful. So you like this one as well, Corinne? I Yeah, a bit like what you said about Bill Street. Um, I, Lauren, kind of nicked it. I put, would put Sorry to Bother You up there as one of my favourite films. It's just bonkers. But in a way, uh, Lauren's covered everything, really. But in a, a little bit of a similar way to Get Out, maybe, I felt. Exactly. It's got a yeah. fantastic commentary on the current climate without kind of shoving it down your throat and being really obvious about it. It's a really fantastic film. And, sorry, Lon. Oh, and Army Hammer has a particularly impeccable role it's in it, it, which is completely genius. It feels like it was almost written for him. Um, and I just feel like he was having a lot of fun with it. And again, I don't want to give anything away. And the trailer doesn't really give anything away because there was a lot that I was completely floored by when watching it. Um, but it's definitely one uh, one to check out, I think. Well, it was one of the biggest independent films released in the US this summer. It came out, I think, in June or July. Uh, it's out in the UK on the 7th of December. I'm very excited to see it. Now, my second choice is Destroyer, which is out on the 25th of January and it is receiving rave reviews for Nicole Kidman's performance in the lead as a police detective called Erin Bell, who has to engage with a previous investigation she was an undercover detective on um, that um, is linked to an investigation that she's currently uh, involved in. Nicole Kidman is frankly almost unrecognisable in the lead. When you see her on the red carpet uh, and she looks... Tall and st- and gr- graceful, and she flows along and like a completely different species to me. And then you see her in the film, <laughs> and she looks basically the same species as me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but she's wearing she's got like a a I think it's a prosthetic nose yeah. or something on. She's got uh, very very grey hair, and she plays a a rather unsympathetic, unlikable character who does relatively horrible things in pursuit of the truth in this investigation. Uh, but 
I was totally riveted throughout. She's absolutely arresting. She's in almost every scene. She holds the attention brilliantly. I mean, Karen Kusama, who directed it, uh, is a really interesting director in that she did a big film a few years ago called Eon Flux, which is notoriously one of the biggest flops in, uh, in history. But she came back and did some low-budget films. And last year, she or a couple of years, she had one out called The Invitation, which is on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, check it out because it's a really brilliant slow-burn thriller. And I was super excited to see what she did with this. And it's totally gripping. There's an action sequence in it um, about two-thirds of the way through that I was like, this is crazy good action directing. You know, really brilliantly staged, exciting, tense, believable. And... Uh, I th- it's out on the 25th of January and Nicole Kidman could easily get Oscar nominated for Best Actress in this role because she's absolutely brilliant. And she's definitely like up there with people like sort of I know like Lady Gaga's been her name's been floating around mm-hmm. a lot and, and you just mentioned people. Natalie Portman and Olivia Cole, yeah. It's going to be a really competitive field. At the Best Actress uh, field usually in the last few years has been the most competitive sure. um, category and I think it will be again but Nicole Kidman is you know everyone knows how good she is yeah. she'll yeah. And everyone loves a transformation. Yeah, and, and uh, she's excellent in this. And I really thought this was a, a exciting, tight thriller. That there are a couple of things which don't quite work as well, but you can easily gloss over them because her performance is so powerful and the character is so strong. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it chanters along to a really you know uh, exciting climax. That's out. That's the destroyer. That's out on the twenty fifth of Jan. Corinne, your fo- third and final choice. And I know how excited you are to talk yeah. about this one. <laughs> so excited. So my third and final choice was the surprise film, uh, which this year was Green Book, which was which everybody kind of when you realised it was Green Book, there was just this kind of audible sigh of relief that you were in for a treat that kind of went across the cinema. Because you literally don't know what the film is until the, they start it. You have no clue. So last year I went and it was Lady Bird and they gave a little bit of a clue before. They said about the fact that this the film would be was directed by a um, female director last year and so everybody kind of went, oh, okay, it's going to be Lady Bird. Um, but this year literally had no clue and because all of the, that was the first um, gala that I went to and because they've all been held in the big IMAX screen in um, Cinema Leicester Square, and I was thinking to myself, oh, okay, it's not going to be kind of a quiet film. I was thinking maybe it's going to be something like Mary Queen of Scots, which is loud. Um, but no, literally, about the first scene in it, this isn't giving any spoilers away, it's got Viggo Mortensen's character in it. And so you know pretty much from the off that it that it is going to be Green Book. And yeah, just I can 100% see why it has received the Toronto Film Festival Audience Award because just the most heartwarming, loveliest film I've seen in a long time. So if you aren't aware, it's directed by Peter Farrelly, who (laughs) is better known as one of the Farrelly brothers, who directed Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, Me, Myself and Irene. Uh, There's something about Mary, some of the uh, biggest comedies of the 90s. Uh, But he's gone slightly more serious this time. Uh, And Viggo Mortensen plays a working-class Italian-American bouncer who becomes the driver of Mahershala Ali, who is a genius-level concert pianist. Is that correct? Yeah, he's top of his game, concert pianist. And and he does a tour of the Deep deep South South of America in the 1960s, which is obviously not that welcoming a place to a gentleman like Mahershala Ali at the time. I am very excited to see this one too. And as you said, it won the Audience Award at the Toronto Film Festival, which is a big deal because... Films which win that tend to go on and be big Oscar uh, contenders and big commercial hits. So last year it was um, Three Billboards, uh, previous winners of 12 Years a Slave, Room, Silver Linings Playbook, The Imitation Game, Slumdog Millionaire, 
you know, really big. La La, no, I don't think La La, La Land may be one, I can't remember. Either way, it's a big deal. Oh, 100%. I mean, when it when the film finished, the audience, it got two standing ovations. Um, the first time when it, the titles kind of started and then the second time when the cast and crew were brought out, when they brought out, everybody stood and gave them a clap. And in the end, we were told to sit down and stop clapping because everybody was literally that excited about the film that they had just watched. Um, I think, going like what you were saying about kind of it getting awards contention maybe Mahesh I mean the film itself again for screenplay and the film definitely I can see it being nominated and again with Viggo Mortensen but Mahesh Ali absolutely just steals the show as um the doctor or the pianist um who his character just goes on such kind of a journey and he's he you see so many different emotions because it is very funny but at the same time the nature of the story where he was a black man in the deep south in the 60s is what he goes through in the story is so kind of upsetting and so emotional and so powerful and their relationship as it builds as the film goes on and it's based on a true story and we actually had the son um of the Viggo Mortensen's character there um on the day as well talking about his father um who both of them have passed away now um in real life but um yeah the story that they go through and the relationship that builds between these two men is just something like kind of a story that you you've never really seen before in cinema I haven't seen it a long time I know a lot of people are comparing it to kind of driving Miss Daisy but they're saying it's like the reverse um but it's just a nice heartwarming emotional laugh out loud film that I suggest to everybody to go and see i'm certainly going to go see it again when it comes back out again I, i'm very I'm excited, so excited. This one, yeah. <laughs> everyone i've spoken to i said it's absolutely brilliant and it's out on the first of february and it will be a major rewards contender and what's your final choice lauren um my final choice is beautiful boy um which is based on the memoirs of father and son nick and david chef uh and uh kind of tracks of the son's uh, drug addiction and the impact it has on the, his father. Um, and I actually basically completely devoured the book the weekend before going to see the film. So it was very sort of like fresh in my mind. Um, and it is a tearjerker to say the least. Um, there was a point at the end of the film where it was, it was quite, the film is filled with a lot of music because it's something that kind of the, that Nick and David kind of bond over. So it's very pervasive throughout. Um, but there was a kind of a quite silent moment towards the end and all you could hear was just like sniffles coming from every corner of the cinema. Um, uh, so it was very moving. Timothy Chalamet, who plays the son, is, it almost feels like the role was written for him. Um, and Steve Carell plays the father um, in another kind of dramatic, more serious role than I guess we're generally accustomed to. Um, and he was also brilliant. I, I potentially regret having read the book or, or, or one of the memoirs just before, because I think uh, the, what the film tries to do is kind of tr tries to cover both of them. So the first half of the film, I guess, is more centered on um, the father's memoir and his perspective and his experience in the second half is um from the point of view of the son um and I can't I guess I kind of wanted them to go sort of like more deeply into one or the other um so you wanted to see you wanted two films one about I I I, I, about I wanted to, to I just I don't yeah <laughs> um just because I, I felt like there was so much more there was so much more to kind of portray or to get out of there or to convey about what it's like uh, I've obviously only read the father's perspective, but what it's like to sort of live with a drug addicted son and the kind of the cycle or the secular nature of 
addiction and when we came out a, a few people were kind of saying oh I was getting really frustrated by it because you know it just kept, it, it just kept happening over and over again and that's kind of that's kind of the nature of of the addiction and that's what's so moving and powerful about it um and yeah two phenomenal performances Oscars there um I think so I think Timothy will definitely um get his second Oscar nomination. Well, he should have won last year for Call Me By Your Name, but apparently yeah. he's going to be put forward for as best supporting actor. Yes. So yeah. it could well between be between him and Mahershala, Mahershala Ali yeah. for best supporting actor next year. But it's out on the 18th of January, and you like this one as well, didn't you? Uh, again, I'm with Lauren 100 there. Just so fantastic performances. I don't having seen that and Green Book. I don't know who I would pick to win out of him and Timothy Chalamet and Mahershala Ali. Um, but yeah, just so emotional and. Again, it's really interesting to see a a depiction of drug abuse um, from a kind of a working class family, not something that we've seen, I don't think, a lot on screens as well. So, yeah, fantastic film. Yeah, because the kind of, I guess, the point of the memoirs is that that for a lot of it, that you kind of get the sense that um, Steve Carell's character kind of thinks, well, my son, you know, we're we're not the kind of family who deals with drug addiction. Like, so when he's kind of sitting there in 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 group therapy with his son and um, all these other uh, addicts, he's kind of he he's thinking to himself, well, you, you know, my my son will get out of this because he's he's um, he's different. He's smart. He's going to go to college. Um, but actually, the point is, this kind of this can afflict anyone. This can afflict. Um, and, and this can impact families in a multitude of ways. Um, and so I think that's what kind of makes it so heartbreaking, really. Well, it's out on the 18th of January again. Award season is really packed. I mean, we've already mentioned um, Green Book, If Bill Street Could Talk, The Favourite, and um, the film I'm going to mention now, uh, <laughs> which are all major awards contenders. And my final choice, which uh, is probably the best film I've seen this year, I'm mulling over with if Beale Street could talk, but it was Roma, um, which is Alfonso Cuaron's follow-up to Gravity, and it couldn't be more different from Gravity. Uh, he, Alfonso Cuaron obviously had had enough of space and went um, very <laughs> went much... Mexico City. Yeah, he went back to his home in Mexico City, and it, it feels really deeply personal personal and it's about a woman called Cleo who is the home help for a middle class Mexican family in the early 1970s and it's basically her story uh, and um, Alphonse but it's never not never that it it feels that simple but it's never that simple because Mexico is quite a turbulent place at the time and Cleo it, it has to go through a whole range of things, which I won't go into detail on because the, the, the surprise of them for me was was um, part of the uh, thrill of seeing this. But Alfonso Cuaron presents this film in a way that no, I can think of only a handful of filmmakers in history would do. It's so ambitious and rich and expansive and every shot is filled with so much uh, life and excitement and... Uh, it's one of the most incredible recreations of a period as well that I've ever seen. Like, there was not a single point where I wasn't convinced this was 1970. I thought Alfonso Cuaron had got a time machine. There's like <laughs> this long tracking shot where some people are running down a street. And Alfonso Cuaron, if you've seen Gravity, deals in long, long yeah. takes. You know, some of these takes are minutes long. And he's and, and you're running down the street. And I'm like, that street in Mexico can't look like that anymore. All the cars don't look like that anymore. But I just believe that that's what you've done. And it's... Um, I think he's a genius, and it was unbearably moving at times uh, because of what happens to Cleo, and she's a 
Cleo is played by someone whose name I'm going to completely get wrong right now, <laughs> but um, I'm going to attempt it. It's Halitza Aparicio, uh, who's a completely uh, unprofessional actor, uh, and they are actually actively pushing her forward as a potential Oscar winner as well. And it's it's a totally believable, moving, incredible performance. I was to- I was swept away by this one and. Uh, I know that Corinne isn't quite as positive about it, but... <laughs> I think it's just more, it's not my type of, typical type of film that I watch, but I cannot doubt how genius he is when it comes to the cinematography and, again, his shot choice that you mentioned and the colouring of the film as well, because it's sort of in that, it's not black and white, it's kind of almost silver-like in all of the colouring um, that happens. So, yeah, it's not my typical type of film but I definitely enjoyed it um and she's fantastic you wouldn't know that she's not a professional actress you just want to hug Cleo at the end of the film you just want to hug her so much if she came into this room right now she's not (laughs) she's not playing I would just give her a hug I I was was definitely crying yeah oh my gosh it's so moving it seems seems like the theme of LFF this year is a lot of tears yeah yeah. it's been the most (laughs) LFF I think I think I've stopped crying once for the last three weeks well Roma uh, won the golden line at Venice which is one of the big film festivals it's going to be up there for the Oscar because it doesn't have a UK release yet. Netflix actually have the rights to it, but they say they're going to give it a UK release. And to get major awards contention, it will need to be in cinemas. So look out for that. But I think it's been... I mean, we've mentioned nine films. There are some other films which we could have... Do you want to quickly mention some other things you've seen that took your fancy, Corinne? Yep, so Assassination Nation was a huge surprise, as was Colette. Again, fantastic films. That's the Kira Knightley one that's, that's out in January as well. Yeah, the Kira Knightley one. Even some of the smaller ones, so things like Papi Chulo, which has got Matt Bomer, um, about a man dealing with depression and loneliness, was, again, really took me by surprise and was really heartwarming. Uh, yeah, literally the list is kind of endless as to films I could talk about that I really enjoyed. And I would, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, same with me. I saw a few other films which I was really taken with, things like Dragged Across Concrete, which is Craig Zahler's, <laughs> S. Craig Zahler's follow-up to Brawl in Cell Block 99 and Bowen Tomahawk, which was super violent and super tense and gritty and makes you feel a bit dirty for watching it, but it was so exciting at times. And then um, the front runner with Hugh Jackman in the lead playing Gary Hart, which is out in January as well. I mean, it's been a really strong year. And uh, all in all, I think it points to a really strong award season, uh, or really strong January and February, which, as we know, is one of the best time of years to be a film fan. But we better wrap it up there. But thank (laughs) you for joining me, Lauren. Thank you, Corinne. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'll hopefully be, I'll I'll say I'll be be back next month, but (laughs) you know that might not be true, but I'm going to aim to be back next month. Um, And if whatever you go and see at the cinema, enjoy it. Widows is the next one out, 6th of November, that we've spoken about. But... um, there's loads of good stuff in cinemas at the moment. I should probably stop, but Halloween, First Man, all really worth seeing. A Star is Born, if you haven't seen it, is great, isn't it? Still another tearjerker. Yeah, another tearjerker. <laughs> yep, just get ready to cry a lot. Anyway, thanks for listening, and bye.